0: This is The Space Shot, episode 339 for April 18th, 2018. Long Duration Human Spaceflight, part two. I'm John Molnix. Yesterday, you listened to part one of three parts. So without any further delay, let's continue that conversation. Megan, you had mentioned that you, I think it was you, Megan, that you do a lot of work with uh, exercise. Is that Correct. Correct. So that has a lot to do with, you know, bone density, with how muscles change and, you know, how the how they get fatigued in zero G. What, what are some of the things that can be done on the station to help combat the loss of, you know, bone density of muscle mass? You know, I I know the astronauts work out quite a bit. Can you give us a little bit more detail on that?
1: Sure. I'd love to. So our astronauts, uh, well, first of all, exercise is our primary countermeasure against changes in cardiovascular fitness and changes in muscle strength and size and changes in bone health. So the astronauts exercise every day and sometimes multiple times a day. And they have a whole suite of exercise countermeasures on the ISS. So we have a treadmill, which is called the T2. We have a cycle ergometer, and we just we call that the Cvis. And then we have the advanced resistance exercise device, and that is called the ARED. So each one of these are designed to mimic exercise in 1G as much as possible because we know that gravity is a really important part of exercise.
0: Well, and for the station, a lot of those, it sounds like there's there has to be a little bit of impact to simulate that gravity environment. How does the station, you know, I know there's a lot of really fine-tuned instruments up there, how do you keep the exercise equipment from interfering with the other functions, the other experiments that are going on on the station?
1: So everything that happens on the ISS is extremely well planned and organized. Um, So we don't have more than one crew member exercising on any one device at a time. And there's people where they're exactly Exact job is to make sure that exercise doesn't interfere with other activities or other tests that are going on. So, sometimes an astronaut is participating in a study where they're not allowed to exercise 24 hours or 10 hours or 12 hours before that event. So, a scheduler makes sure that that's not going on. Hmm. We also schedule around sleep and around meals. So, exercise can't happen within a certain number of hours of waking up and falling asleep. And then obviously you don't really want someone eating right next to you while you're exercising. (laughs) So they're very careful how they schedule those events.
2: And with the ISS, um, something that is quite different from what we will have in future missions on Orion is there is a lot of space on ISS. There's a lot of space for to um, have these different kinds of exercise equipment. A red is really big, it takes up a lot of space. Those are not uh, we will not have that kind of space on Orion. Um, Orion is very small and and so uh, a person exercising on Orion is pretty much going to be taking up a lot of the volume and the other crew members aren't going to be able to do a whole lot. so that's going to be a new consideration for future, um, long duration missions.
0: So the type of exercises you could do on Orion, then is that going to look something more like, I mean, did they do anything during the Apollo days then for that?
1: <laughs> so one of our, uh, one of actually ex- in the exercise group, one of our primary objectives going forward is evaluating these small exercise devices that are specifically designed for exploration. And like Chelsea said, we're going to go from, a whole nice suite of three great exercise countermeasure devices to everything into a small box um, that will have to perform resistance and aerobic exercise. Uh, So that is very challenging. And then just to add on to what Chelsea said, another big challenge is that um, there is not room to exercise. So literally everyone else is going to have to watch the person exercise rather than go about and do other things. So it's going to be a big scheduling problem and we're probably going to have to change uh, the type of exercise, the type of prescriptions that we give our crew members, and figure out how to make those more efficient and more appealing to people that are not exercising at that <laughs> given time.
0: So that that's really interesting that you mentioned that because I mean, the station we th- it's it's a pretty big complex in terms of like just the amount of cubic feet that astronauts have to move around in so i am interested to see what exactly happens with with that you know the little exercise box as it were
1: (laughs) (laughs) so are we so hopefully actually this summer we are going to get a couple into our lab and we're gonna get to check them out and uh, see how well they work
0: very cool. So, you know, it's it's not just exercise that we have to worry about for long duration spaceflight. It's also radiation. Can can any of you talk a little bit about the effects of radiation on long duration spaceflight, both in low Earth orbit, um, you know, lunar gateway and then beyond to Mars?
3: Well, I don't think any of us are particularly experts in the radiation area, okay. but um, I'll, I'll take a crack at it. Um, So the the biggest thing to keep in mind for um, that right now, uh, you know, our our current spaceflight experience has been largely in low Earth orbit, which is still uh, really quite protected by the Earth's magnetic field as far as any of the uh, galactic cosmic ray uh, radiation. We still get, um, you know, obviously some of the solar particle events. Um, some of that radiation gets through, but um, we're still protected from, from the majority of that. Um, it, our only experience outside of that has been, of course, going to the moon, um, where even there, from what I understand, there's still there are very weak magnetic fields um, that are, have still protected us a little bit. When we're talking about interplanetary uh, travel, uh, we're going to be exposed, our crews are going to be exposed to you know, the full brunt of sol- solar particle events and, and other um, galactic cosmic rays. So uh, there, there are a lot of researchers that are working on those problems, uh, dealing with everything from you know creating uh, new ways to shield vehicles. Obviously, we don't want to have things that weigh a lot because things that weigh a lot cost a lot yeah. to get in orbit. Um, there are uh, groups that are working on um, radio protective drugs. Um, and a lot of the ongoing experiments, of course, have to be, um, they're either cellular-based or animal-based because, um, that, you know, we, we collect as much data as we can with dosimeters and things like that um, from our crew. But again, it's not the, it's not the same uh, environment that we expect to see once we go towards exploration flight. Um, so, you know, the animal models and the cellular models um, can, can tell us, you know, a little bit more about what the effects are and what the, some of the protective um, measures might be.
2: And the Orion Human Engineering Team has been working with um, the radiation um, researchers and trying to even find ways, procedures, um, testing out procedures for sheltering in the case of a um, high radiation event. So um, even if Orion, you know, can't shelter completely in these high radiation events, we have ways of sheltering in bays and um, stacking stowage around the bays um, for periods of high radiation. Um, and so we're working on procedures for that as well.
0: Interesting. We've been doing some longer form questions. Let's get into a couple rapid fire questions here real quick. Um, first off, and we've talked a little bit about this, but how well does the research regarding long duration spaceflight in low Earth orbit translate to longer duration missions like a mission to Mars?
3: So, that, it really translates quite well, and that's, that's something that, you know, we've talked a little bit about. Megan mentioned that we're really trying to use ISS as a testbed uh, for exploration and, and do as much research as we can while we do have the capability on ISS. Uh, the environment's the same as far as the microgravity, uh, but there are some very important differences. Um, one difference that um, Kelsey talked about is, you know, the ISS is huge. Um, it's very large. So psychologically, you know, it's better to have that space available. Um, physically it's better, you know, they can actually move around a little bit more. We don't have to worry about the exercise constraints quite so much. Um, but also the radiation environment's different because they're still in low earth orbit. Um, you know, we're not getting the same, uh, radiation exposure that we would be getting on an exploration mission. Uh, So, one of the the more important, well, another important aspect also is that we have uh, near real-time communication with the crew almost constantly. Uh, So, right now, our whole concept of operations for medical care and a lot of research activities is that we do remote guidance. We've talked about that a little bit before, and we're just not going to have that for exploration missions. So we need to move from a situation where the expertise is on the ground and we're talking the crew through a lot of procedures to a situation where the crew actually has that information uh, and they have those skills that they need to do whatever they need, whether whether they're emergency procedures or, um, you know, a routine type of procedure. So um, physiologically, you know, most of the research that we're doing obviously um, translates. We're going to have to somewhat extrapolate what we know from our six-month and very limited one-year missions on the ISS to a two- and three-year mission, but um, most of it translates very well with those, um, you know, those caveats. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah, I would think one of the biggest challenges um, that's uh, most different from ISS is going to be the behavioral and psychological health um, challenges of long-duration spaceflight. We'll have some new um, potential stressors in uh, going to Mars, such as the Earth out of view um, issue. We've always had Earth in view, even going into, going to the Moon, and one of the um, most um, preferred uh, free time activities for a crew is to take pictures of Earth. Um, because it's just beautiful. And when we go to Mars, we're not going to be able to have that view or that free time activity to look back on Earth. Um, And so the isolation uh, and confinement is going to be a much bigger issue uh, for Orion long duration and long distance missions.
1: So I was going to add two cents here is that it also very much so depends on what physiological system you're studying. So we see some systems where you have a plateau after a couple of months in space, or we see some systems that just continue to decline um, all the way through the time course that we have up to about six months now. So some of the things that we're trying to do right now is get time course measurements of how these different systems change during flight. And that will tell us and directly translate to whether or not there will be a linear loss over two or three years, or whether we expect things to even out and, and whether whether or not six months is really representative of the rest of the mission.
0: That's interesting. And, you know, that kind of dovetailed into one of those other questions. So I'm glad all of you were uh, answering in your own way there. Um, Let's change it up with just kind of a fun little question here. Is it true that your fingernails fall off during a long duration spaceflight? And if so, do they grow back?
1: Yes, and yes.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> but it's less
2: about the microgravity and more about the gloves right. on
0: EVAs.
1: Okay. Right. Crew so members whose fingernails fall off practicing EVAs doing neutral buoyancy lab
0: runs too. Interesting. So that's something that I read. I think it was in an oral history for one of the Apollo missions, but just the gloves, like every time you would move your hand, that glove, your fingernails, just jam the, the back of it, no matter how short or the tip, the tip of the glove, no matter how short you keep your nails trimmed. So it's not just in space. Then it's also during, uh, you know, practicing on the ground and the neutral buoyancy lab then.
3: Right. So training. So one of the, one of the things that I've heard it compared to, um and I, I meant to look up the uh, the inflation pressures, but I've heard it compared to actually trying to move your hand or move your body while inside an inflated basketball because uh, I, I think the pressures are similar. Um, the pressure the suit pressure is typically about four and a half psi um, and a uh, basketball I don't know I guess it's between four four to four to ten psi anyway, so it wow. kind of gives you an idea of fighting every time they have to move. That's why it's so exhausting to do EVA.
0: See I, I never I guess I never really looked at it in that way. that's that's an insane amount of pressure to be fighting against almost. Yeah it is. How does that then, you know, Megan, you're, you're kind of the EVA um, expert here Mm -hmm. for everybody today. Um, How does that, like, what, what does that type of challenge look like? Say if astronauts are, you know, on a deep space mission and they have to do an unplanned EVA, how, how are you able to plan for something like that where they're, they're doing something that, you know, they might not have even ever had to think they were going to be repairing?
1: Right. So actually, all of our EVAs, even the ones that are unplanned, are very well rehearsed and practiced prior to spaceflight. So even if the astronauts know that they're going to do an EVA, um, there are a lot of practice runs that are done in the neutral buoyancy laboratory where they go out and they practice just doing things that we know might break or um, fixing things or turning screws or replacing panels. So, Believe it or not, EVAs are actually very well rehearsed and well script right now for the ISS. And the reason that they we can do that is because the ISS was man-made. We know every single square inch of the ISS. And um, even if the EVA isn't planned, we have ground-based expertise that can walk someone through an EVA with real-time communication, like Doug was saying. Uh, but you do bring up a really good point in that as we go to exploration EVAs, We're not going to have that ground-based experience, and we're probably going to have communication delays. So that is going to require our crew members to be much more autonomous and make decisions on their own. And that really draws in a lot of what um, Telsey was saying about um, making sure that the crew are functioning very highly on a cognitive level and that they can make good decisions and they can plan their own DBAs.
0: You know, and that's that's one of the things it's kind of glamorized. And I don't know if any of you watch The Expanse, (laughs) one of my favorite shows on TV right now. But it's just, you know, when they go out and they do something, it's almost as if there's no thought given to any of that. So it's interesting to know that even if something is not planned, there's still tons of work that goes into planning something that we might think breaks. So that's that's interesting to know tomorrow we finish up our three-part series. I hope all of you have a fantastic rest of your day. I appreciate each and every one of you that listen to the podcast every day. I'd be incredibly grateful if you could share the podcast with your friends and family. Tag one of them and let them know about your favorite episode. I'd also really appreciate it if you could venture into the Apple Podcasts app or your podcast app of choice and leave a review for The Space Shot. A steady stream of reviews helps ensure The Space Shot is more visible in the Apple Podcasts app. As always, the show notes have more information on today's episode. You can hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. Find me at John Molnix, I'm always up to chat. You can also connect with me on Facebook. Just search The Space Shot or check out the links in the show notes and you'll find me. I'm John Mulnix and I'll catch you on the flip side.